Right in the middle of the state of California is a giant lake. Tulare Lake is its name. It's the biggest lake in the western U.S., and it wasn't there about seven months ago. That's why I've never heard of it. Hi, welcome to the Weird World Podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Dean. And we believe the the world is weird. How about you? (laughs) I think probably. (laughs) I don't know if they would say it as creepy as you just said it, but sure. Today, as you know, because we did that new little intro thingy there, we're going to talk about a thing called Tulare Lake. It is a big-ass lake in the middle of... California's Central Valley, which is an agricultural powerhouse, is one of the most profitable agricultural areas in the world. Probably the most profitable. I've been to Tulare. Uh, yes, you have. Is it a city? It's a city. And a county. And a, uh, Yes, it is. Hmm. It okay. is about, the lake is about roughly equidistant between Fresno and Bakersfield. It's a little south of Tulare, a little inland too. So, okay. so it's literally right in the middle of California. Okay. It's... 170 square miles in surface size. It's, I don't know if you, that's, that's huge. That is as big yeah. as California's much more famous Lake Tahoe, what sits on the California-Nevada border up in the north in the Sierra Nevada mountain range. That was the place, Lake Tahoe, where Mark Twain used to go looking for gold and also where the, or nearby where the Donner Party ate themselves for well. just a little context there. So for instance... I mean, you probably won't know this off at the top of your I head, might. but like, I probably won't. Is 170 square miles like oh. the size of a city? Oh, you thought I was done with my comparisons? Oh, I'm not. Okay, Carrie. do you not know me? It is enough to fit four Disney worlds comfortably within it. Okay, it is about the tenth the size of the state of Rhode Island. So a state, it's a small state in the nation, still a yeah. tenth the size of the whole state of Rhode Island. It's about three quarters the size of the Isle of Wight. For our UK okay. listeners, and also the same, about three quarters the size of the city of Manila for our listeners in the mm. Philippines. It's more than twice the size of the Able Tasman National Park for our listeners in Tasmania. And I oh, think you're that's so weird. Enough. That totally seemed like it was set up. Like oh, I asked you that. To it did, set and it wasn't. Up. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for that segue. Um, you're welcome. It's big, it's very yeah. big. Four, four Disney Worlds did it for me. There, there you go. That's probably like eight Disneylands, right? Oh, I bet it's more than that, actually. Yeah. I bet it's eight, 11 and a half. I have no idea. But <laughs> Disney World's a lot bigger than Disneyland. Though it's pretty shallow. It's only about five to seven feet deep. Perhaps oh. most amazingly, as I teased ahead, that it did not exist less than a year ago. Early this year, 2023, it wasn't there. This is all farmland. The massive storms that battered the state of California this past winter, and now the swelling meltwater that's resulting as the snowpack starts to melt, have just fed this depression area. Central Valley is a huge, huge, huge depression, essentially. A valley, some might say. It is, but it's like it has mountains on both sides. It really is this deep valley. If you you look at a topo map of California, it's a dramatic, low-lying, massive valley that right in the middle of the state of California. And... The shallowest part of that 
is basically this area of this Tulare Basin. Uh-huh. And so that's why it used to be, we'll talk about it in a minute, a much, much bigger lake even. And that's why all this meltwater and all this flood water has flooded over the, the rivers that used to feed Tulare Lake. We'll talk about why they don't any longer. And have just literally in a matter of weeks, it became this massive, massive 170 square mile lake covering sprawling farms, roads, power installations, even some homes. It's actually yeah. displaced very few people. This is almost all farmland. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask. That's, and growing, you know, very, it's real value-added stuff. Nuts, also like cotton and tomatoes and things like that. So which, this is all privately owned All of it. land mm-hmm. that was being used oh, yeah. by people oh, yeah. for no, active farms. Absolutely. Extremely profitable farms. Wow. So what are, are you going to talk about what they are going to do? Uh, yes. Okay. A little bit. Which is get a boat and... Go skiing? No, probably not. (laughs) This, it goes even deeper though, because Tulare Lake wasn't there several months ago, as I mentioned, but it was there a little bit more than a century ago, even actually less than a century ago, it was there. A little bit more like the late 19th century, let's say, even to the very, very late 19th, 19th century into early 20th century. It was a massive lake. I'll talk about how big it was in a minute, but it was huge and it had been there for millennia. So if you look at a map of California that depicts as the state looked like in say even the late 19th century you would have you would have thought I think that you've been be, being hoaxed. That's fake. You see this gigantic lake right in the middle of the of the state that everybody knows isn't there anymore. Right. And that just seems weird. To me it seems very weird. Yeah. I mean in fact it would have been and was the biggest lake in the entire western US. West of the Mississippi River. Really? It's bigger than, than Lake Tahoe. It was much bigger even than the Great Salt Lake in Utah. Really? Yeah. Bigger area-wise, but was it deep as deep no, as? Because isn't wasn't. Tahoe very, very deep? Tahoe's very deep. Not yeah, Tahoe's a different kind of lake. But in terms of surface size, it was much, much better, okay. much bigger than Tahoe. And like I say, even bigger than the Great Salt Lake. So it has this fascinating history. We're first going to talk a little bit about this history of the Tulare Lake. Then we'll bring you back up to what's going on there right now with this new lake and what's underneath it, which is some pretty yeah. weird stuff. And then I have a couple little bonus tidbits for you that are kind of lake-oriented. Okay. So it's it's Lake Week here at the Weird World Podcast. Lake trivia? Is that yep. what it's nah, that's not trivia. Oh, okay. There's some interesting little lake-related stories, a couple of them. Oh, okay. So this new Tulare Lake sits in this shallow basin. Again, I mentioned it's between Fresno and Bakersfield in inland California. It was over 700 square miles at its biggest, kind of this oyster-shaped oh. freshwater body. And it's actually one of several lakes. So it was the biggest of several lakes that formed this huge, vast inland watershed in the middle of California. Again, people think of the Central Valley as pretty arid, and it is, yeah. kind of, but it is also very low-lying. And this this huge watershed that Tulare Lake was the 700-square-mile center of was just a massive wetlands. It supported oh. incredible teeming life. I have an idea of what might have happened to the water. I think you do, and it's a sad story. It's a it's it's basically money over over life wins every time it was the again as i mentioned the largest freshwater body of water west of the mississippi river i don't you know i'll take that back i'm not positive it was bigger than the great salt lake or not i don't know that for a fact it might have been in terms of surface space surface area it had these surrounding huge tracts of surrounding marshes and vegetation so it was i mean millions of birds of every type beavers turtles tons and tons of fish tule elk 
huge herds of tule elk, pronghorn, not an antelope, but a, a you know I'm talking about uh-huh. people call the pronghorn antelope, a, a type of giant garter snake lived there. And it had the big animals too that, that preyed on these creatures like coyotes and cougars and grizzly bears. Wow. So it was a, it was a the main, really kind of the most life-giving area in all of the central part of California. And even then, though the lake was shallow, it was never more than about 40 feet deep. So it really is basically oh. with a set, the low-lying Central Valley goes to its lowest. Yeah. And waters from all the different surrounding rivers just sort of ended up there and formed this massive shallow lake because it didn't have yeah. that. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think Tahoe was formed by glaciation, so it's much, much deeper. Right. Glacial-formed lakes tend to be much yeah. deeper. So what's there now, the 170 square feet, is what would have been square the bottom. Miles. Oh, square yeah. miles is what would have been the very the bottom, bottom of, of the forty foot deep lake. I, I hundred so. years ago, yeah, okay, it would have expanded in all directions. Correct. I imagine, yeah. depending on on the topography. Okay, so, but still, it, it supported uh, tens of thousands. Some estimates as much as seventy thousand Native Americans lived around in this this area around the lake, mainly from what's called now called the Yokut tribes, although that's not their word, and, and most of them don't like that word. Some There's a couple of tribes, of these related families. One is like the Tachi, for instance. They fished, they hunted the waters, they made these reed boats from the... Uh, Tulare gets his name from Tuli, those reeds, and so they make oh. reed boats that were very, very efficient. And whenever the lake would overflow, uh, they would just move up into the hills in kind of a set up semi-nomadic way and wait for it to recede a little bit. Hmm. The first European to see the lake was... Friar Juan Martin in 1805. You know what's going to follow that. Yep. I was going to ask, hmm, what happened to yeah. all the Native Americans? All the Native, 70,000 or so. Sparse now I think settlement. I know. Yeah. A few people started to move in, Spanish people then, in kind of the early, early 19th century. Then later, some Americans started to move in. A few decades later or so, a, a famous American explorer named Jedediah Smith was the first American to see the area. He, he was mucking around there in 1826. What do you mean by, you mean European American? First European American, okay. yes. An early turning point was exactly what you expect. It was 1833, and it was an epidemic. Probably smallpox, but it was utterly devastating. It wiped out, no one knows for sure, but for sure the vast majority of all Native Americans in the entire kind of inland central California were wiped out. It was thought to have been brought by British fur traders. Nice of them. Yeah. So American ethnographer named Frank Latta, he was he studied those tribes and he was they, he had sources within them and they told him stories of this massive die off around the lake that like there were so many dead that there weren't enough survivors to bury them. Wow. Whole islands, an island called Skull Island was essentially taken over for a mass Native American burial ground. Ooh. Villages were wiped off out 100% and just abandoned. And so a lot of the survivors actually fled to the hills to wait and see what's yeah. going on. They'd kind of like test it and come back. If one of them died, they'd go back up to the hills. Mm-hmm. So it was absolutely devastating. It just, it just destroyed the population there. Two Mexican families were given land grants in 1843. And then so more settlement followed that. You ever heard of Grizzly Adams? Well, Yes. Grizzly Adams was a real person. They made a dumb TV show about him. Didn't mm-hmm. he have a bear or something like that? Probably. But he was in the mid-19th century. He was an American like trapper, explorer, what a hunter, or kind of a kind of a guy. Dan Haggerty played him. Dan Haggerty, that's right. Good one, Carrie. Wow, that's very impressive. <laughs> if you say so yourself about yourself. In 1858, 1859, he went 
to, to, to Larry Lake, I think he's, he heard, you know, there's tons of elk there. You can go kill a bunch of them. And so he did. Sure. In fact, he was taken to an island by these two children, Native American children, who should have known better, yeah. in a reed boat and um, just was shocked on this island. It was just loaded with elk. And so he killed a bunch of them because it's a quality guy. By the end of the 1850s or so, the growing American population, the United States has control of this now, decided they didn't really want any natives around anymore, even the, the remnant population that was there. They thought, no, we want none of you on our land. So they effectively ethnically cleansed the area, or at least the town, or, or almost entirely. And the Native Americans tribes in the area, what was left of them, were forced to move elsewhere. Most of them were forced into what was the Fresno Reservation in this kind of around this time of the Civil yeah. War. I thought... This was just going to be a oh really happy little episode about a lake. Well, the disappearance of the lake is is not happy. At the beginning, oh sorry, and then after this, kind of you can really trace the the beginning of the end of Tulare Lake is around this time in 1861, 1867. There were floods, which again it did it all the time. Right, but this now you had a bunch of white people and they had their cattle. And they're very profitable and expensive cattle. And uh-huh. these floods killed a bunch of their cattle. So they said, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. So they demanded, the locals demanded that the state build dams. So they started damming the surrounding rivers, like the Kern River and the Kawaya River, and to control any kind of flooding. Because essentially that controlled the amount of water that got, again, right. Tulare is basically just fed by, by rivers and by runoff. And so they were trying to control that. And it did. And that essentially started the process that would transform this giant lake. Again, the biggest in the entire American West. And it would slowly transform it into nothing but rich bottomland farmland. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took time, though. The last natives were kind of hiding in the reeds. So they, they basically lived on, on some of the islands still in, in the lake. And would anytime they, uh, a, a white person came around, they would hide in the reeds and be on it. So there's still a tiny population left. But in the 1870s, they decided that they wanted the white people wanted the islands for themselves because they thought that was good grazing for our cattle. We can just put them on the, we can drop them off on the island yeah. and they can't go anywhere for the most part. Right. So it's like safe grazing. So you few remnant people, the Native Americans Get on out. those islands, yeah. you need to go now. We're going to take the last little bit of marginal land you have left here and move you, move you, and they did. Hmm. The, the Skull Island I mentioned that had tons and tons of skulls and some from burial. At at this period, occasionally white people will go raid it for ghoulish souvenirs of those things that gave the island its name. So wow. they unbury. They'd disinter Native Americans and bring the skulls back for a souvenir to put in their mantle in their home. Well, they should all be cursed. Super. I assume they are. Yeah. I assume one of them was Josh Brolin. I don't know that for a fact. Or Josh Brolin's great-great-grandfather or something like that. Wasn't he in, in Poltergeist? Damn it, I did I mess it up? I think so. James Brolin? James Brolin. James Brolin. The newer one Josh was... Josh is the son. That's right. One of those Brolins. But Wait, well, Josh what? is actually probably still retains that no. curse because of his dad. Poltergeist was Craig T. Craig Nelson. Craig T. Nelson. What am I thinking? <laughs> You're thinking of... Amityville. Um, yeah. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> My bad. Sorry. Craig T. Nelson for sure cursed. Yeah. And frankly, rightfully so. So meanwhile, these expanding farms were taking more and more of the water for irrigation, and the rivers were becoming more controlled, more irrigation channels were built, so there uh, more water was being taken out, so it never got 
to the to Larry Lake. Yeah. So Lake is shrinking every year. It last overflowed its boundaries in 1878. Then more dams, more farms, and it just shrunk. It was shrinking and shrinking every year. And and people knew what was going on. Yeah. So uh, there was a Scottish travel writer named Constance Gordon Cumming, and she visited California in 1884. And she realized immediately what was happening. She warned, quote, that even the great Tulare Lake itself is in danger of being gradually absorbed by the numerous canals and ditches with which the whole country is now being intersected. The poor lakes have simply been left to starve. The rivers whose surplus water hitherto fed them, having now been bridled and led away in ditches and canals to feed the great wheat fields, end quote. Yeah. So uh, they absolutely knew. There was a mouse before. They knew there, that every time they planted another acre farm and took water from the rivers, they were killing this, this lake, this mm-hmm. bountiful, giant, yeah. I, I mean, a, a, an incredibly important part of the California's geography was literally just being destroyed and disappeared. The lake finally ran completely dry in 1899, during a really bad drought year, mm-hmm. so it would, you know, it was still watery there, still kind of marshland, and it would refill and dry up a little bit and refill. That was the first time it ever actually just there was no more Tulare Lake was 1899, yeah. but it would, you know, in wet years it would come back. But then there's more dams: the Kings River, the Kawea, the Tule, the Kern Rivers, all were being dammed up. And then in the 1920s, a guy named J.G. Boswell and his family, they were cotton impresarios from Georgia, he came to California and said, I can do it, grow a lot of cotton here. Cotton needs a lot of water, a fair amount of water. In the Southeast, you have it. It's called rain. Mm-hmm. Here you don't. So he took even more. He bought up, he speculated and bought a bunch of land, built these massive cotton farms and took tons and tons and tons of more water, further drying up. It's still one of the biggest agricultural companies in the world, the J.G. Boswell Company to this day. Oh. Yeah. And so- they're not still growing cotton. Absolutely. Here? Yeah, in we California? still grow cotton in California, which is the stupidest thing in the yeah. planet. We grow cotton, we grow white rice. Yeah. It's absolutely nuts. Almonds? We grow a lot of almonds, but at least that's natural to our topography. And I but know they are very water hungry. Yeah. That's true. But growing things like cotton and rice that can much right. better be grown elsewhere is, is yeah. an incredible waste of land. So and and he and those other agricultural barons fought for more water and they took it. And that I I want to be clear. California was never a family farm, like the kind of mythology of the Midwest and Iowa and places like that. Oh, it's the family farmer with their 40 acres. That's grossly exaggerated, even in the American Midwest. In California, it was pretty much never like that. California was taken over by large agribusiness companies early on, by the even the early 20th century. It's And today, it is pretty much 100%. You're not in the California agriculture business unless you're a pretty big organization. Most of it is, I mean, they're Fortune 500 companies. They're huge companies that are incredibly profitable. Lots of lawyers and lots of people like that. And so when they want the water, they take the water. Mm -hmm. California's water laws, all water laws, are absolutely arcane and idiotic and nonsensical. So these big water barons had this thing called first in time, first in right water rights. So basically, if you first one there and you're on the river, you get all the water, which is again, it's insane. Yeah, water should be a public good. No one should own any water in yeah, any permanent source ever. Uh, don't get me wrong; we need to use it for agriculture. I'm not saying not at all, but they they're very greedy. They're they're incredibly stupid with, with how they they waste a shit ton of water because yeah. it's virtually free. Because they to don't them. have to figure out more efficient ways. Yeah, to use they don't. It. Yeah. They're not forced to by by the free market. Yeah. The free market protects them and makes them very inefficient. And very wasteful, and and they are, and then they and they put those signs on the side of the road on their farms that essentially threaten Californians. Yeah. If you fuck with us, we'll starve you. Yeah. So classy Which, people, all of them. I, I'm not worried about it. They can go fuck themselves. So 
Uh, but, but again, think about that. It's all the water rights are based on first there. Think about that yeah. for a second. Who was first there? Uh, not hmm. them. Not Wasn't you, J.G. Boswell, or any people like you? Uh, a, a current today, a tribal leader has said, "Quote: Even now, the tribe doesn't have those first water rights. Instead, they go to the first people who destroy the natural waterways and move the water away." Which he's hundred yeah. percent right. Still, the lake kind of survived in the modern times. As late as the 1930s, you could ride a boat on remnants of the lake. There's maybe multiple lakes by then, and you can kind of hop to rivers, and you can more or less travel from Bakersfield to San Francisco by water, by oh. boat. You'd have to portage it sometimes, but it was still kind of possible, which yeah. is really weird. That's all all dry yeah. now. There's no way to get by. You don't move by water in California any, any longer. Even as late as World War II, the Alameda Naval Air Station used what was left of the Tulare Lake as a base for seaplanes, oh. I guess for, for coastal operations. Yeah. So there's still water there, but then it's pretty much gone. The rivers that fed Tulare got even more dammed up. They're, they're almost bordered. They're not really even wild rivers anymore. They're basically kind of more or less semi-controlled channels yeah. at this point. It really takes the uh, massive levels of, of rainwater, meltwater, like we had this year, to make them kind of back to the semi-wild state and have the water just be too much to handle and happens what happens. It happened, by the right. way, in 1969, in 1987, and 1997, Tulare Lake reformed. Oh. It was gone in weeks or months. I know, I don't remember. Uh, I mean, we were around in 1987 and 1997. I don't remember that. Well, why it was, would why I don't know. I feel like I would have I paid attention to a story like that. Back well, then. I'm assuming it didn't get anywhere near as large not, as it is not now. Not nearly as large so, yeah. and was gone I mean, very quickly. Yeah, a but, puddle. Yeah. Here, so here it is in, in 2023, and it's back again. But what lies beneath this now new current Tulare Lake is also very different than what was there before. It was this rich, rich waterway and wetlands area. Now, though, the constant farming that's been going on for all these decades has led to soil salination. Yeah. So presumably then the water is quite a bit saltier than it would have been, you know, a century ago yeah. or more. And it's also, you know, these, these vast farms. So think like, like rows of drowned produce and things like that are, yeah. are under this, this lake now. Roads, well, highways are under this, this rural highways are, are under the lake, completely submerged. Would there have been produce? Because when it, it flooded in the winter. Well, it certainly would have been some kind of planting, I imagine. Wouldn't there have been? I don't know. I guess it depends or, on what the crops are. Any orchard would have been there, right? Any like nut trees, orchard or something sure, like that. Yeah. Or fruits. Trees yeah. would have been there. There's infrastructure down there below. Yeah. There's even a few homes, as I mentioned. And it can be a pretty dangerous place. So there's like fences. There's yeah. um, poles sticking up. Power lines are down there. You have some some of those irrigation hoses oh. kind of snake from the yeah. from out of the water onto the, the new shore now. And it's not just salt leaching from the soil into the water, but think about what modern farming is like. Tons of chemicals. Yeah. Tons and tons of chemicals. Diesel fuel, cow manure. It's it's a pretty dangerous place, actually. Yeah. People are going there. It's, it's kind of, there's been a, a little tourist boom. People oh, want to go visit yeah. and see it. I, actually, I frankly would like to go see it. Yeah. But it can be Don't dangerous. Don't go in it. Yeah. Yeah. You get too close, you, your car might get stuck because it's very muddy around. Yeah. It's starting to recede now, finally, a little bit. So people, a lot of people have gotten stuck. There's all kinds of detours because the, these, I mean, right. these are significant roads and then they now are closed because they're underwater. And lots of small animals, by the way, drowned. Yeah. There's lots of animal bodies along the shore decomposing. Eesh. The Pacific Gas and Electric Company... That's the power company that serves the region. PG&E. PG&E has lost miles and miles of power lines, 
but also a tremendous amount of pretty heavy-duty machinery and infrastructure. They've hired divers, lots of them, to go try to recover this, this infrastructure that's now submerged. And they're so heavy, they had to get heavy-duty Chinook helicopters, massive, really? you know, multiple-rotored helicopters to go in there. So the divers go and you know, wrap up. They've, I think they've rescued about 50 electrical transformers, which can weigh as much as 13,000 pounds. Yeah. So these Chinooks, and maybe there's more than one needed, yeah. you know, are attached to it. And they, they, you need that kind of uh, machinery to get it out of there. Hmm. wonder how PG&E is paying for this. <sighs> Our rates. Mm-hmm. We actually aren't served by them, thank God. They're our gas company. Those, you're, you're right, you're right, yeah. but they're not. They're our electric company. Thank God. Yes. So beneath the water is also, though, new life. Tons of fish. There's catfish and all kinds of fish there. I don't know how that happens. I guess they've come from, well, the, from the rivers yeah. and have fed it, but... It's, it is weird. It is weird. They just adapted it, and there's tons of fish there now in Tulare Lake. There's huh. lots of birds found it immediately because they're flying up and go, what the hell? Yeah. My great, 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 great grandfather Egret talked about a lake in this area. Now I'm seeing it too, as I assume what's happened. And so they're swooping down and living in on near the lake. And some people like to see it become permanent. Yeah. Certainly the swallows, ducks, egrets, wrens, and blackbirds would like that. Uh, And so would the native tribes. They called the Tulare Lake the Pa'ashi. It was very central to their physical and spiritual way of life. Obviously, it it was incredibly, it was almost like the bison were the Plains Indians. You had, once the lake was was there, their their life was tenuous anyway when it was gone. Many, again, many, there's a couple of these so called Yokut tribes. One is the Tachi, and the lake is central to their creation myth, for instance. And so some modern tribal leaders are saying, hey, let's continue to allow more water to reach to Larry Lake and leave it there permanently. There was a study done in the 1980s. I guess that was after the 1980, um, 1980, what was it, seven, I said? I can't remember, three or seven, something like that, where they had the last uh, flooding and the Tulare Lake came back for a short time. So they did a study and they found that a renewed Tulare Lake would hold far more water than this giant proposed dam and reservoir project that was kind of on the books and in in policy arena at the time at a tiny fraction of the cost. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, could be an economically smart thing to do. You just, but these farmers are going to have to give up more water that's yeah. going to have to flow down into this lake to make it permanent again. And they're going to have to give up land. It's all private land. Their water rights are all controlled by these private giant agribusiness companies. Yeah. They are mega corporations. Again, they have the water rights law on their side. They have lots of lawyers. They have titles. It's not going to happen. It really is David versus Goliath. And in this case, David has, he's going to get his ass kicked. So State of California can't. Do anything? No, it would conservation knee. They uh, no. Hmm. Short answer: No. Already, the water's starting to be drained off. It's being yeah. sent into reservoirs as as those reservoirs can take it. A lot of those are already pretty full. Yeah, it's being channeled into irrigation in farmland that's still above water. It's being and and one good thing is happening is being diverted to areas to sort of then percolate down into the groundwater because we've we've just Take you know, it, taken yeah. so much of our groundwater yeah. that this can replenish some of that. So that could be good. It's also been pu- pushed into the California aqueduct, aqueduct mm-hmm. which goes down and in, in f- feeds thirsty Southern California, yeah. and it's being sent to cities as well. So it's being drained off right now. It's still going to be here for a while. Experts think it should be here for probably at least two years. Wow. And that's if we don't have another wet winter yeah. next year or the year after. And, and it's possible that we will. So it's going to be, you know, not, that's not permanent, obviously, but that's longer than it has been in quite some time. Yeah. 
and uh, the rivers that feed it are still bursting and overflowing yeah. with meltwater. So yeah. it's still being fed, but it is being drained off. And I, my understanding is it's just starting to shrink just a little bit. But as the summer heats up and the meltwater is exhausted, I, it's going to start shrinking more rapidly for sure. Yeah. But it's going to be around long enough that the Kings County Sheriff's Department bought their first airboat. Really? Earlier this year. <laughs> so they assume it's going to be needed for a little while. Why? To police there. Like I said, there's people going there and doing stupid things. Yeah. There's people uh, illegally diving there. This is all oh, private okay. land. You're not allowed to go in there. Lots of people doing it. People getting stuck. It's It can be very, very dangerous yeah. to be down there. You, it's not just that you shouldn't drink the water, which you obviously shouldn't, but you really <laughs> don't. Oh, damn, you little shithead. Hey. Shut up. Moki and Lily. Hush. You're oh. bad dogs. Why don't you stop it for a second? Is it Emma? You're very... So it's not just that you shouldn't drink the water because the chemicals in cow manure that you'd Ooh. be drinking, but you all, and diesel fuel too, not good, not yeah. delicious. Well, a little bit delicious, but not, not what people think it is. And you also should not go in. It's a dangerous place to be. Like I said, people are doing it. Yeah, Someone's going to get hurt here eventually, probably in all likelihood. So be careful if you do want to visit. Again, I, I'm not urging you to do so. Not at all. I, and it's going to be, it can't be easy to get to either. Although I guess you can just go to the end of some road yeah. where it submerges. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. We'll have to figure that out. So the Tulare Lake is going to be here for a little while. Enjoy it while you can. It will probably be gone in a couple of years. Sad hmm. to say. But as I promised, we do have a little bit of other lake Wait, I have stories. an idea. Yes, please. Why don't Native American tribes sue to get it back? The law would be, again, like I said, water law is arcane, but it's been around I for know, a long time. It's, it is on the size of the people who own the area. First in. The water, yeah. Well, yeah. It would be them. You'd have to make a very holistic view of it. I, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I It would be extremely expensive, and they'd probably lose. I'll be on that jury. <laughs> well, now you won't. First of all, you don't live anywhere near there. Second of all, well, I'll move. you've kind of... You know, you've kind of given the game away here, Karen. Yes. Are you biased? Absolutely not. I can make a fully unbiased decision. I here. could. Oh uh, no, you couldn't. You you just said you couldn't. You you actually you're I did offering say strategy I to the native. I American said person. I would be on that jury to make a completely fair minded. You'd probably make the right decision, thingy. but it wouldn't be fair minded. Yeah, well, of course it would. Well, right no, and I mean, fair minded are the same thing. Not always, Carrie. Not always. I, it wouldn't be unbiased. How's that? I'll say that. Let's not be ridiculous at this point, Carrie. I, think I can I'm see. Being... So, you want to hear some other lake news? Yes, I do. The resurrected Tulare Lake may be dangerous, but Alaska has new lakes by the score, dozens of them, that actually can menace people on a global level. What? Yeah. You're going to have to explain that I, statement. I, I fully intend to. <laughs> As the planet continues, can you just... <laughs> As the planet continues to warm, the permafrost in Alaska, and really all that, think of that northern rim, you know, Siberia, Alaska, Canada, is melting. Permafrost, if you don't know, is essentially ground that is frozen year-round. It's, it's, it's vegetation, but it's, it's essentially ice, and the water in there yeah. is, is ice. So it's very hard. It's icy, and it's frozen year-round. Well, not anymore. 
Yeah, that's Because bad. of global warming. It's starting to melt in a lot of places. This process releases massive amounts of ice as water. Yeah. And that, res- and that, that causes subsidence in the land. So the land sinks, water is being melted, the ice is melting into water, so what's that going to do? It forms a lake. Yeah. Again, it's somewhat shallow lake, but they're called thermokarst lakes. And essentially that means that this exact process, they've been caused by melting permafrost, subsidence, and that melted permafrost now turns into that now lower ground, turns into a lake, sometimes pretty good-sized lakes. Yeah. The place that is now Big Trail Lake in Alaska, for instance, was once three meters higher and was a spruce forest. So this is big spruce oh. forest is now, you look on the map, Underwater. and it's, it's a lake. It's huh. a very long lake. It actually is weird. It wraps around like a highway. I think it's on the Kenai Peninsula in southern Alaska. And so it wraps around a highway. I'm assuming they built a highway on, on higher ground, I guess. Yeah. Hope- and so, hopefully. yeah, because the lake kind of butts up against it in the large, it's probably just a rural, you know, road. Yeah. But still. It's one of dozens of these new thermocarst lakes across all of the northern area of, of the world. And huh. so this process can also kind of almost take on a life of its own. So the warming uh, from the water causes further warming. Water is warmer than ice. Yeah. That spreads the melt surrounding it, yeah. and it creates new of these lakes or expands these thermocarst lakes as it melts and warms. And... So scientists and experts are saying, look, we've got a lot more of these lakes in our future. Yeah. And so you might think, well, that's not so bad, right? Well, it is because I really meant when I say they warn us this, I I meant that directly. There are some pretty serious consequences for this. The dead plants and the other organic matter decompose. And that produces bacteria blooms and massive amounts of bacteria and decomposing organic matter, which does what? It releases carbon dioxide and methane. Both of these are critical greenhouse gases that contribute to further global warming that is creating these thermocarst lakes in the first place. So it's this vicious loop. So you're saying the earth is very soon going to be covered in water and we're all going to be dead. Well, we know. Well, (laughs) I'm not exactly. That's that's what I'm taking away from this. But this is this bacteria. It's, it's like they come up, it's, it's rising up these little shallow lakes. And sometimes, by the way, people have seen giant bubbles and just belches out a bunch of carbon yeah. dioxide and methane. And it's, so it's doing this all the time, right? And people don't realize this. Everything's about CO2. CO2, carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. is the main greenhouse gas. And it is because it's so ubiquitous. And there's tons of it, right? Methane, actually, though, is a much more dangerous gas pound for pound. It's about 25 yeah. times more effective at trapping heat than carbon dioxide is. So every time we release methane, it is incredibly dangerous and it increases the global warming much more so than carbon dioxide is. It just doesn't get the attention because there's less of it. And you know, this is why in the state of California, we are no longer supposed to be putting our food waste in our trash cans. Because of methane? Yes. Okay. Well, if you outlaw little gnats that fly around that, then I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's why after dinner tonight, I said, don't throw that in the trash. Okay. What was that again? I forget. Your food waste, oh, your corn, corn cob, cob and your yeah. whatever. All right. All right. Good for you. Good for you, Carrie. You're super green. All right. It's the, it's the law. Yeah. All right. I'm just a law-abiding citizen. Mm, okay. <laughs> I'm just a poor law-abiding citizen. <laughs> her thumbs through her suspenders. <laughs> Trying to get you to also abide by the uh, law. It's hard. So It's not that hard. Sometimes, we're moving on now. <laughs> It's not about me. (laughs) 
Sometimes these new lakes can even release something you're also familiar with. It's called nitrous oxide. Oh, everybody get high and laugh. Uh Uh-huh. Except nitrous oxide is 300 times more powerful than CO2 in trapping heat and being a greenhouse gas contributor. So it's very dangerous. It's releasing carbon dioxide, methane, sometimes nitrous oxide. Nitrous oxide, by the way, can also diminish the ozone layer. This is not good. No, it's terrible. It's a very bad thing. And again, that that loop is there. So the warming caused by the gas releases helps warm the planet, which in turn is going to warm and cause more thermal cars and and so on and so on in this terrifying loop. I know. So I'm not off base that eventually the entire earth is going to be covered by water. Well, not the entire earth, but certainly the water level is going to go up more than people realize. And that's going to throw everything into a dizzy. It it has incredibly uh, planet-threatening consequences. Will this be after I'm dead? Hopefully. Or it will cause your death. So fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) So this is bad, but it's not all bad news. Well, it sounds all bad. It does sound pretty bad. I'm not going to lie about that. This is a real downer of an episode now. (laughs) It kind of is. So, hold on one second. It's not all bad news in the sense there's also some other lakes being formed. And if you're a fan fan of lakes, maybe you like these lakes. Because global, what, you're not a fan of lakes? You're not a lake fan? Oh, I'm, I'm a, a Laker big fan. fan of lakes. Okay, I'm good. a big fan of the way you're trying to turn this around for I me. I am. Well, actually, well, you'll oh, see. Oh, okay, you'll see. God. Global warming has caused the creation of new lakes throughout the Alps in Europe, especially Switzerland. Uh-huh. And these ones aren't so dangerous. And they Why? actually can be quite picturesque. Well, because they're, they're not uh, shallow now. Because it's very, there's lots of topo there in Switzerland. So they don't just form in little, like in these permafrost ones, they have lots of, of vegetation there. Right. And they're very shallow and just starts dying off and decomposing and releasing gas. These ones don't. These might be a little deeper. Okay. A little more like, think of, they're more like alpine lakes. Okay. There's just more water melting and glaciers are melting. So these lakes are being formed, but they're pretty. Okay. And in fact, at, Experts estimate there are now over 1,000 more lakes than there were in the mid-19th century. They have good data going back quite a ways. They think about 1,200 have been formed in those last 170 years or so, and about 1,000 of those are still in existence as we speak here today. Hmm. And it's accelerating. 80 have been added, these lakes have been added in the last decade. And from the decade, from 2006 to 2016, experts were counting 18 new lakes per year. Wow. Think about that throughout the Alps. Most again, I think yeah. most of this study has been in Switzerland. In fact, oh, hold on one second. Though these lakes aren't dangerous from a climactic view, as I said, as I tried to sugarcoat it, naturally there is a downside. Yeah. At least a little bit of a downside. In this sense, these lakes, as they swell and get bigger, there is the risk that they're going to burst some of these old dams oh. down, I guess, river, you know, the release river from yeah. them. And that in Europe, Switzerland, there's almost always a village or a town or something like that below those dams. So there's a real uh, increasing risk that they're going to have these some, some catastrophic floods that are going to overrun some of these towns in the future because of these swelling lakes caused by global warming in the Alps. So, And you know what that's going to cause? What's that going to cause? A revenant situation. A what now? A revenant situation. Why would you think that? Remember that show? I vaguely do. The, it was a French show oh, that yeah, was yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. We tried to make it remake it here in America. And it was bad. And it was not so good. And it was something about dead people came back. Yeah. Not sure why you think flooding dams are Because that's how that's what oh, started that, it. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. The a whole village, a whole town got flooded oh, yeah. and turned into a lake. 
in the well, it was in France, but it was ripped from today's headlines. Yeah, ripped probably in the French Alps, I assume. Yeah, very, very good memory, Carrie. Yeah, so it's a good show. Let's wrap these all together. You consider the Tulare Lake. And what's happening, it's growing back and taking over this farmland. Mm-hmm. Alaska, is the, their new lakes are killing us. And Switzerland, their new lakes might kill some people in the not-too-distant future. It kind of sounds like karma because we killed so many lakes, and now the lakes are trying to kill, kill us. us. Fair? Question mark? Mm. Kind of. It seems like. We've destroyed well, a lot of lakes. Yeah. Did, what happened to, to Tulare Lake? It, that's writ small in many other lakes. Yeah. There's lots of other disappeared lakes. There's also, we, you know, through damming up rivers, we've right. made new lakes, those are reservoirs, but those yeah. are, you know, a fraction of what we've, I, I assume, but what, you know, I don't know. But I know we've destroyed other lakes. Just Tulare Lake was, it, again, to me, this is so weird because it was just a huge lake. Again, if you looked at the California map, yeah. it's like your eye, the first thing it'd see would be this massive body of water in the middle of the state of California, and it is 100% completely gone. Uh, eight months ago, right. and again in two years. That's that's nuts to me. So that is the story of Tulare Lake, hmm. and as well as the scary Alaska lakes, and the pretty but potentially devastating new lakes in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed our lake show. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Uh, did you? Did you? Uh, okay. To a certain degree. Do you want to go to Tulare Lake? No. No. It's I kind of do, but giving me something else to be a little bit worried about. <laughs> you don't need anything else. Wasn't there a lake I want to think it was in Africa somewhere in Africa? Oh, I know yeah. With the with the deadly gas bubble in yeah, it that and it exploded they were, and killed a bunch of people near on Did it explode? Oh, I think it did. I mean when and I heard about it it was down there and they were trying to figure out solutions. Well, I think one before that did explode and kill a lot of people okay. on the shores of that lake, yes. I never got and an was, update, so I don't it know. Again, I, I bet he probably would have heard if it happened again and killed a lot of people. There is a bubble. There was yeah. a bubble. Yeah. That, I think they, I, heard. Um, I think they, they popped it with a huge needle. No, that no? one, okay. I mean, it's still going to kill people. Um, how about a needle with a hole in it and they, it was like a, like a mile high and they let the gas slowly out way above. Because I'm high sure they the had sky. a mile high needle in the middle of Africa. Okay, just make and... a mile high needle. It can't be hard. It's like a hypodermic <laughs> needle, but times a lot. Can yeah, have to I look think, this one up. I think that would handle it. And maybe a big syringe that you pull it back to, to get the gas in, but it's a syringe is roughly, I'm gonna say sixty feet long with the needle about a mile. And this is doable. Mm-hmm. We have technology. AI can do it. <laughs> I'm assuming because we think AI yeah, can do it. Right? Yeah, they could just ask chat BGT <laughs> or whatever it How is. How do we make a giant needle to save those people <laughs> in Africa? So that is the story of Tulare. That was the story of Tulare Lake. Hopefully that was weird for you. It was weird for me. Yeah. We'll see you uh, next time. Thanks for listening. Okay. Not thank you, Dean, for telling oh, us this down or story. Sorry yes. about that. Okay, next time. Carrie, say something happy. Watch you. It's going to be a good one. Okay. That's good. All right. (laughs) Bye. We're going to do.